0: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray just come fill this place. Come fill us to overflowing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take the words that we speak tonight and give them life. That they will impact our lives, they'll bring change, they'll bring healing, they'll bring release. They'll make us more like Jesus. Let your anointing presence flow through this place, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 12. So the church is rocking along at this sort of stage, and and things are going pretty well. The numbers are increasing. And uh, Herod You've also got to remember that while the church is growing and amazing stuff has happened, there's also a lot of persecution coming on the church. All right? The Jews still don't like them. And because they were very political at the time, they had the ear of some of the locals. And, and in this situation, you've got Herod, who is sort of the king of the region, and he's worked out that if he kills the Christians then he gets a bit popular with the Jews. And he always wanted to be popular with the Jews. He wanted to be one of those popular kings that everybody loves and everyone thinks is wonderful, but he also wanted to be very powerful and influential and just one of those make my place in history type guys. And he worked out that if he kills a couple of Christians, then everybody loves it, except the Christians, of course. So he takes James, the brother of John, and throws him in prison and puts a sword to him and all the people like aren't Christians go, yay, yay, that was fantastic. So we get a situation in verse 5 where Herod goes, well, that's one Christian down and that was popular and he was a you know, pretty well-known guy around the church. So he grabs Peter, who obviously is very prominent in Jerusalem and in Christian circles and very well-known among the community as well, and he throws him in prison with the plan to do the same thing. And verse 5 it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and guards before the door were keeping the prison. So you get an idea of this. He's sitting there. He's got guards on either side of him that he's chained to. As well as being chained to the prison itself, and there's guards at the door as well. Now behold, the angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. In other words, put your coat on and shoes, let's go. And so he did, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and didn't know what was being done, while the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate. But ran in and announced that Peter stood by the gate. But they kept saying to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept on insisting that it was so. And he said, it's his angel. Now Peter was continuing knocking and when they opened the door they saw him and they were astonished great faith and expectation (laughs) by motion to them that his hand to keep silent he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison he said go tell these things to James and the brethren and he departed and went to another place this is quite a situation you got the church here praying for Peter to be released I sort of thought that maybe their response to him when he actually is released is, you know, they didn't believe it because they thought it may be some other way that Peter would go to trial and, you know, wax eloquent under the Holy Spirit and Herod would be convinced and Peter would be released and there would be great fanfare and celebration. They didn't expect him to be released there and then as they prayed. But he was, by a miracle. God sends an angel, releases him from an impossible situation, and drags him out. The prayers of the church saved Peter's life and delivered him from Herod. Their prayer wasn't down the track like they were expecting, but was actually immediately effective. They prayed. Peter was delivered. I want to talk tonight about how you pray effective prayers. Because we're talking about, you know, we're doing Contagious Christianity, or becoming a Contagious Christian, get the course name right, on Tuesday nights, and we're talking about reaching out to people. We have needs in our life, and we pray three times a day, and uh, we have a prayer meeting a couple of times a week. But there is a way that you can have a prayer that actually changes situations. A prayer that gets people saved. A prayer that changes people's lives. A prayer that changes your situations. We see some of the heroes of the Bible when they prayed. And amazing things happen. You know, we see people healed. We see people raised from the dead. We see miracles. We see thousands being saved. But I think that sometimes we think, well, that's them and that doesn't work for me. I've prayed and nothing happens, so for whatever reason, it doesn't happen for me. They're special. And even though sometimes we know in our heads that they're not special we still think they're special we think they've got something that we don't have and in some ways it's true they have got something that we don't have but here's something really exciting you can have it you can walk out of here praying effective prayers Convinced? No? Hanging there, waiting with bated breath. Let me tell you about a place called Angolo in Guatemala. Angolo is a place um, go back about twenty years. Angola was a place that had about a population of about twenty thousand people. It had three prisons in Angolo, and the prisons were all full. In fact, they were so full they used to have to send prisoners off to the neighboring towns where they had prisons because they couldn't contain the prison that was there. Angolo, in Angolo they served a a god called Maya. And Maya basically is a god of drunkenness and perversion. All right? When you serve this God, the result is often... Drunkenness. And there was so much drunkenness in this town that the police used to actually hire civilians that weren't drunk to go around in the mornings and pick up all the drunk guys off the street to get them back home. They couldn't put them in prison because the prisons were too full. So that's all they could do, was go around and do that. Um, divorce was massively high. Domestic violence was just off the scale um they used to the main thing they did was grow vegetables there and they used to export four truckloads a month you think about it: twenty thousand people their main industry is fruit and vegetables and they extra export four truckloads a month that's not a lot all right essentially people would go to work enough to be able to buy enough to drink didn't look after their families one of the one of the high priests of this god mayo would um often go away for like three or four months at a time and would leave his wife and two kids with no money whatsoever to look after themselves and no means of having an income. Um, there was no, you know, hardly anyone went to school. Literacy was so low. This was just one of those real places of hell. They grabbed one of the pastors in the town. There were only a couple of pastors in the town. They grabbed this guy one day just because he was a pastor. They beat him up, so he lost a couple of teeth. And they got a gun and stuck it in his mouth because this was just common practice with people carrying guns and shooting each other. And they pulled the trigger twice and the gun wouldn't fire. And This pastor walked out of this situation and he thought, this is not good. <clears throat> so he got the handful, I'm talking literally handful of believers he could find. And he said, we need to start praying for a revival. Now, this is early 80s. So we're not talking a long time ago. Something going together a long time ago. It's in my lifetime, so it's not a long time ago. <laughs> they started praying. End of the '70s, early '80s, and they started praying and they started praying. And you know what happened? As I started praying together, they earnestly would get together and pray. Change started to happen. People started getting saved a high priest guy that used to leave his family for three months, 11 o'clock one night, suddenly wakes up. Where well, he woke up, he was drinking. And he sat there and went, this is ridiculous, and cried out to God and got saved. Woke his family up at 11 o'clock, took them down to the local pastor, and got them all saved. Just like that. The other priest in the town was... um laying there, and so his wife, because he was he was off his face, drunk, um, passed out. And so his wife, who he'd been beating up just prior to this, ran down to the local church and said to the pastor there, come pray for my husband, I want you to cast a demon out of him, he's got a demon. And this pastor had said, well, I've only, like that week he'd only been reading about demons, so that's all he knew about demons and how to cast him out. And he said, well, I don't know how to do that, and if I go and see this guy and I get it wrong, he's going to beat about him out me. She goes, it's okay, he's passed out drunk, he's, he won't know what's going on. <laughs> so this pastor goes down and prays for this guy while he's passed out on the floor to cast the dream of demon out of him, and the guy becomes a Christian within two days. Let me tell you about that place right now. There's still 20,000 people in there, but the jails actually no longer exist. of the town is now Christian. The average church size is 1,000 people. The jails, the government didn't know what to do with them because there was no one to be in them. So they closed them all down and gave them to the churches. Now they're all churches. Literacy is one of the highest in the world in this town. And it's actually the highest among single women. Because these single women are getting educated, and they're actually out there running their own businesses. Where they used to export four truckloads of fruit every month, they now export 40 truckloads every month. But what's amazing about these fruit and vegetables, and I I wanted to bring some pictures in, but I couldn't get a video that was in English (laughs) to be able to do it. But the carrots are like the size of my arm. The cabbages are so big, they don't fit into the baskets. there's no unemployment the divorce rate is zero where there were thirty pubs there's only two left and the whole town's been changed they now are opening christian schools because they want their kids to have an education not just an education but a god-based education because they want what has happened in their town to continue on as you drive in and out of angolo there are massive signs that say Jesus is Lord of Angola. Where there used to be big statues of this mayor god, they're all completely gone. All those who are left worshipping may have moved on to the next town because there's no room for them in town anymore. The whole place is transformed. What changes a place like that? It doesn't matter what else you do. It is prayer. But it's not just prayer. There's a difference between praying and prayer. If you read here, this is where we lose a bit in translation. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant. But the word there is not just constant. It actually reads constant, in the original, constant, earnest prayer. They weren't just sitting around going, Oh God, we really pray that you know you release Peter. There was an earnestness to what they said. There was a almost like a desperation of we want this to happen. It's our lifeblood. We want to put everything into this. We really, really seek this to happen. And as I thought about that passage, and I thought about earnest prayer and Totally separate to that was I was reading the story about Angolo through a whole other thing and so on and about the blessing of God that comes through that. I really thought, you know what? We, we pray as a church, but I don't know if we pray earnestly. <coughs> I remember talking to, to Pastor Gideon, who is pastor of the church in Singapore, I'm in Singapore, in Indonesia, in Medan when I was over there. And they came over, you know they had a nice church of 40,000 people, all right? Um, the thing about Medan is that if you don't, aren't Indonesian, you can't live in Medan. All right? Even as, as a Westerner going in, I have to be in a walled compound and I have to be escorted and everything else. I can't just be there. All right? this is a, when you talk about Christianity not being welcome, this is one of those places where anything to do with Westernism, that's what Christianity is associated with, is not welcome. And yet 40,000 people are in that church that 25 years ago had 25 people in it. That they're sending out 200 people every three or four months to go and plant churches right across Indonesia and they're running out of town so fast that they're now going into Timor and doing the same sort of thing. And he was over here and we were having um, lunch, he and his sister and and Dale and I, and and he said, see one thing I've realised, that you had been here for about a week, and he said, one thing I've realized about, about Australia is that people don't need God. He said, they've got medicine, they've got technology, they've got jobs, they've got this and that. He said, where we are, people haven't got anything and they need God. He said, how do you guys do it when there's no need? And I said, well, that's one of the challenges we have. I said, there is need. And there is need. Because we all put our little you know, facades up of uh, driving into our garage doors and we put our garage doors down and we all smile. But the moment the garage door goes down, the fight starts and the, the dispute starts and the brokenness starts. I mean, I actually, but I don't understand how people live their life without God. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I had God in my life at a very young age. I don't understand how you live your life without God. Like, who do you talk to? Got the voice in your head? <laughs> I don't understand that. It must be so lonely. It must be so empty. You know, we live in a city where... You open up the newspaper and there's never anything good. I don't watch the news anymore because there's never anything good. No one has anything good to say about anyone. How many people have been killed through violence in the last couple of weeks in our city, in our state? we talk about divorce rates we talk about domestic violence we talk about child abuse we talk about drunkenness we talk about drugs we live in a society that needs Jesus but you know what I don't think society is comfortable I think the church is comfortable not society's fault that they don't know Jesus I believe it's our fault that they don't know Jesus because it's our job to take Jesus to them it's our job to be earnestly praying yeah if one of us was thrown in prison would we pray for their release Where did we go, what did they do? You know, when someone's going through a hard time, yeah, I'll pray for you, we throw up a quick prayer and that's it. That's not earnest prayer. And we wonder why we, we struggle in financial situations ourselves. and wonder why we struggle with relationships and we struggle with sickness and so on. And these things are in our life and, and we're sort of going, you know, and the devil's got us so focused on the stuff in our life that the thought of even praying for someone out there is just too much because we can't get over the stuff that sort of crowds around us. And we sort of go, well, when I've dealt with all this, then maybe I can deal with all that well, okay, well, when are you going to deal with all this? Because the devil's plan is that you never, ever deal with all this so that you never, ever get out there. And he sold this amazing light of the church saying, you've got to be poor, you've got to be broke, you've got to be sick. And the church has swallowed it wholeheartedly but you know what I've discovered? People who are poor, broken, sick don't reach out. Because they're so busy focused on how they're going to pay their next bill and worried about it, the last thing they do is pray for their neighbour. Or they're so sick and so poorly and spending so much time at doctors and taking medicine and laying there groaning, so the last thing they want to do is Pray. And he keeps bringing stuff into our life and stuff into our life and we keep taking it in. But God's plan is that we be a people who are earnest prayers. We are earnest prayers. Because when you become an earnest prayer, that's when you become like our heroes in the Bible. Because that's the difference between them and us. They didn't just lay down and go, oh, I've prayed once, that's it, it's all over. Oh, i prayed for that friend at least twice this week, that's, that's, that's enough. I've got more pressing things to do. It is earnest prayer that changes things. Let me help you understand why. It's not like God is sitting up there going, I've got this stuff I know you need. Convince me to give it to you. But I think that's how we think. We have a financial need. It's like, I've got to pray until I break through. And our thinking is that we break through into heaven where God is going out. Yeah, we're convincing God to go, okay, I'll give you enough to pay your bills. Don't ask for any more. You know, always sick, and, and God's got this healing, and it's like, yeah, I think you've prayed enough now. I'll give you the healing. That is not why we earnestly pray. Because Jesus has actually done everything he ever needs to do to meet every need in your life. He has done everything he ever needs to do for you to be completely healed. Because he did it at the cross. That's why he's gone back up into heaven. He doesn't need to be here anymore. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been giving it to me and I'm handing it to you. Go and share it out there with the world. He's given us the power and authority and that is why we need to earnestly pray. Pray. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's because the devil is out there and he is working earnestly to make sure as many people go to hell as they possibly can. We're not fighting God to get the blessing from him because he gave the blessing way back at Adam. And then he gave it through Abraham. And he gave it through Noah. And just to make sure that we really had it, he reinstated it through Jesus. Jesus said, heaven and earth is mine. And he's given that blessing to us. He says the blessings of Abraham are ours. And how blessed was Abraham? Abraham. See, our battle is not against God. It's not against this world. It's against the world system. Because that's where Satan rules. And the problem is that we've sold the lie and we operate according to the world system. Whereas we're here to change the world system into what it should be. And the way we change that is through prayer. Let's go over to James. Down near Hebrews. If you hit Peter, Revelation, you've gone too far. I need to go back a bit. If you're on the phone, it's down the bottom of the list. James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man. It's good to know, isn't it? What was so great about Elijah? Elijah builds an altar, puts a bull on top of it. Fire comes from heaven after he soaked the whole thing and burns it up. And we go, oh, I can't be like Elijah. Elijah prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And he prays again and there's a downpour. Oh, I can't pray prayers like Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like yours. In other words, he was just like you. Don't believe me? What did he do? After the amazing fire falling from heaven, consuming the bull and the altar and all this water, kills all the prophets of Baal. What's the next thing he does, this mighty man of God? He runs away and hides because the girl went, nah, 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 She called him names and said, I'm going to get you, and he ran away and hid. That's like anyone here? you know, here get scared? When people say nasty things, do you like it? Elijah's walking down the road and a bunch of boys go out and they say, hey, Baldy! And you know what Elijah's response was? One of compassion and love. No. Don't call me names. No. And sets a bear onto him. he did because someone called him a name what a sook god gets fed up with elijah because he's too much of a sook and a hothead because that's what he was he was a hothead he sometimes really didn't care about people he can be very indifferent he got selfish Sound like anyone you know When Elisha comes along and 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 God basically says to Elijah, look, time's up, I'm taking you home, I'm handing what you've been doing to someone else because you've been too much of a soak and a hothead. And so Elisha comes along and and Elijah says to Elisha, well, if you're going to take over from me, then what do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you've got. I want to be bigger and better than you. Now, what do you feel like when someone says that to you? Maybe they walk into your place and go, I want your job, but I want to double the salary. And you know that by asking it, they can get it. How do you feel? See, Elijah was a guy... So what does Elijah do? He goes, okay, well, you know, I asked. You said, I can't do anything about it. Therefore, that's yours. But here's my condition. You have to see God take me up into heaven, then you get it. If you don't see God take me up into heaven, you don't get it. By the way, you stay here, I'm heading on to the next town. What's he saying? You stay here, I go to the next town, God takes me up, you miss out, you can't be better than me. He was a guy just like us. He was a hothead. He got jealous. He got angry. He ran away scared. There's nothing special about this guy except he believes in God. And what does it say here? And he prayed what? Earnestly. This is the difference. The guy prayed earnestly. Just like back in Acts when they prayed for Peter, they prayed earnestly. In other words, I am going to pray this until it happens. I'm going to pray this until it happens, and I'm not going to let go. That's the only difference. You don't have to be special. You can have failings, you can have weaknesses, you can be you and still pray earnestly and change the world. You don't have to be special because you know what? There's no such thing as God's special people. All they are is people who prayed earnestly. And you can look down through history, and you look at the revivals, and you look at the people who stepped out and did amazing things for God, what's the one thing that is constant across every single one of them? Is they pray earnestly and will not let go. So you want to become a super-powered Christian? There is one simple key. Pray earnestly. You don't have to have it all together to do that. You can still be a hothead. You can still get jealous. You can still get it wrong. But you can also change the world by praying earnestly. Read the bit before this, the verse beforehand. Just confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's a good thing to do. But what's the next bit? The effective, effective, fervent prayer of the righteous is What? Powerful and effective, or it says it avails or achieves much. I was looking up that word "avail," and I've lost where it is on my notes. Anyway, it's in there. I was looking up that word, and achieves much. And you know what it says? That word. When you combine those things together, what it's saying is when you get this this fervent prayer going when you get this I'm going to pray until I see this happen type prayer going what it does is if you look at the words and their meanings what it's saying is like this mighty force comes into being and causes this thing to happen that's the English translation that when you get that fervent prayer that avails much It's like a a mighty, mighty force comes into being causing this to happen. We cannot save this city by ourselves. Coburn alone, 110,000 people. But you know what? If we start praying like we actually mean it, we start praying with a purpose. We can change this whole city. We can hit the 110,000 people that they can all know Jesus or leave town. We want to know Jesus. We can change this city. Let me tell you how to do it. How do you be an effective prayer? First of all, a couple of things. Number one, you need to know God's will. You need to know that what you're praying is God's will. Right? You cannot pray if it be your will, God. Because there's no faith in that. Because you've got to pray with faith. So you can't pray if it be your will. I had a great story this week. Um, This guy who used to pray that. And he was like an elder in this church. And he'd pray for people, you know, Who are ill, and you know people come with cancer or so on, and then they pray for them. God, if it be your will, we pray, Lord, heal this person. And then he got cancer, and he said, and the church gathered round him, and that's what they prayed: God, if it be your will, we pray you heal Bill. And Bill suddenly realised that he wasn't very excited by that prayer, because it was one thing for someone else, you know, if it be God's will, but he said. I wanted it to be God's will that I was healed. And suddenly it wasn't acceptable that it might not be God's will that I get healed. And so he started getting the Word of God and discovering what God's will is. Because he realized there was no faith in that prayer. It's like an escape clause. I'm praying this, but just in case God doesn't want to do it. Know what the Word of God says. God's Word says things like, It is God's will that none should perish. So therefore, when you pray for people to be saved, you can be 100% sure that God wants them saved. So you're praying His will. Yeah? And when you take on healing, you take on finances, you do it the same way. But I want us to focus in on praying for people on our impact list, for those doing contagious Christianity, for our ones, for our neighbours, for the people that we work with, people at our universities and our schools and everywhere else. You can change where you are by praying. I read a story this week about a place in, in America where there was a prison. It was one of those prisons where they turned over the head warden of that prison about every three years because no one wanted to be in this prison. It was the worst prison in the U.S., And they finally got this warden about 15 years ago who was a Christian. And this guy started praying into the prison. And he started praying into the prison. And this is one of those death row prisons, all right, where you go there and you tend not to come out for a large part of it. Or you're there just waiting until your trials end so they can kill you. And this guy put together a group to start praying into that prison. It's now one of the most productive prisons in the USA. What they do is they have this whole ward where they, where they pray into them and pray into them and they get them saved and then they send them out in twos and threes into the other sections of the prison to evangelize those areas. And about half of that prison is now Christian. There's no more stabbings. Violence just pretty well is non-existent. The whole place has been turned around because one guy said, I'm going to pray. And they pray. And they pray. You can do this. So when you know the will, then you've got to get earnest. And that's not that guy off TV. Now the one thing I find that stops people getting earnest is Sin. Great quote I heard a couple of weeks ago. The devil is so much of a liar, he'll talk bad to you about yourself. He will come and tell you how you cannot pray because you aren't worth it. You aren't good enough. You've got this and that in your life and you did this and that, therefore how can you come and pray? Because it says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. He'll come and talk bad to you so much so that you'll feel so bad you'll go and sin again rather than praying. Because that's his tactic. Well, let me take you through that tactic. First of all, everything the devil says is a lie, right? I'll try that again. Is there anything the devil says that's true? Okay, therefore... Everything the devil says is a lie, right? Alright, so when he comes and tells you how bad you are, is it true or not? Does it sound true? But it's not, is it? He makes it sound good. It's be like the preacher when he's preaching and, and he says, you know, has a weak point and so he highlights it because he's got to shout louder at that point just to make it sound like it's more authoritative. If the devil says it and he's coming and telling you, you can't ask for that, you can't pray that, look at what's in your life, you've got to sort yourself out first before you can go and do that. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Because the moment you confess your sin, where is it? So you don't have it anymore. God doesn't have a record. You can come and say, God, I'm so sorry. What are you talking about? So it's not him going, her. So let the devil have his conversation with his demons. Let them go and obsess over what's happened in the past. That's his worry. You go and pray. I'm sitting down preparing this sermon today. And I'm sitting there typing, and the devil comes along. And I'm writing this bit. And he's coming along going, oh, well, you know, there's this. And, the... and I'm going, you've got to be kidding He is just bold faced. I know I can be grumpy sometimes. I know I lose my temper occasionally. I know I can be short with people. I know I have to repent of these things. But you know what? Big deal. I can still pray, I can still pray earnestly. Just because I have failings in my life and I have weaknesses in my life, it doesn't matter. Because I'm not righteous because of what I do. So it doesn't matter what I've done. I'm righteous because of Jesus Christ. And with that righteousness comes His blessing. And that blessing takes care of my financial needs and that blessing takes care of my physical needs and that blessing means I can walk in health and strength and that blessing means that I can come and I can pray earnestly and kick the devil's butt and bring the kingdom of God from heaven down here on earth and change this city. But I don't want to do it by myself. I want you to do it with me. I think it's time we stop listening to the devil and stop believing his lies. And when it says that if we're just like Elijah, we go hallelujah because he was a wuss as well, just like me. And he got scared occasionally, just like me. And he said the wrong thing occasionally, just like me. And he got angry with people when he shouldn't have, just like me. But the guy prayed. And when it didn't happen, he prayed again. And when it didn't happen, he prayed again. And when it didn't happen, he prayed again. And it still didn't happen, so he prayed again. And guess what? It still didn't happen, so he prayed again. And it still didn't happen, so he prayed again. And on the seventh time, the seventh time of earnest Heartfelt praying. A small cloud appeared, and he went Hallelujah. He was off. He started running. Says he pulled up his little pants, and off he went. And he ran so fast, he ran faster than the guy in the chariot. So he wasn't into decorum, and he got it wrong occasionally. He wasn't trendy. But the man could pray. Let me tell you right now, when you start praying earnestly, you're going to look at the situation it's not going to any different. It's going to look exactly the same. And you're going to pray the second time and it's still going to look exactly the same. Don't stop praying. You know when Jesus went through and he cursed the fig tree. Did the fig tree just suddenly wither right in front of them? The fig tree looked fine. You know, Jesus cursed the fig tree. This gentle breeze comes through and it rustles the leaves and it looked wonderful. The disciples went, well, that was interesting and kept walking. But see, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, right down at the roots, they started to die. The roots on that tree started to die because if the leaves started withering, the tree could still be strong. If you want to kill something, you've got to kill it at the roots. So Jesus curses it, and where they could not see, the power of God goes to work, and that tree starts to die. That's what happens when you pray earnestly. When you speak into people's lives, the power of Satan starts to die in their lives. You may not be able to see it. They may still be rustling around and being all noisy but the power of Satan is starting to die in their lives because you are praying earnestly. The problem is we stop praying and we let Satan get that hold again and revive it. But we're going to pray earnestly. One, two, three, four, seven, ten, twenty, thirty, fifty 10, 20, 30, 50 times. Whatever it takes. But I don't want to be sitting here with 50 of us in 10 years time going, well, we love God. there's 50 of us, I want it to be the leadership meeting because we can't fit anyone else in the room. There are 110,000 people in the city of Coburn alone. There are over 2 million people in this metropolitan area. And our earnest prayers will change their lives. That as we pray, the power of Satan will start to die at the root of... And eventually we'll see the life of God in them. But we have to be praised. We have to be earnest. We have to stop believing Satan's lies where he tries to sell us a quick one so we let go of what he has for us. I want you to look at the person who is next to you in your home. The person who lives across the road. The person that you work with. The person at your university. Look at them. See them, whether they're in front of you or not, see them in church with you. See them here worshipping Jesus. And pray. Pray with earnestness. Pray with fervor. Pray with a hunger like your life depends on it. And when financial stuff comes up in your life to distract it, just pray into that earnestly as well. And when sickness comes up to try and distract you, just pray into that earnestly as well. But let me tell you, when you pray earnestly, it's not a pleading to God, it's often a stating into their lives. Elijah said, it will not rain. You have that same authority to say, my finances are fixed in Jesus' name, and I am prosperous and blessed so I can be a blessing to everyone else. My body is healed in Jesus' name so I can go out and do the work of the ministry and share Jesus with those around me. And by the way, the people who live next to me, I speak Jesus into their lives in the name of Jesus. I speak that they will know Him and the power of His resurrection and be in church with me, worshipping Him. Do that. Pray. Speak. Change the world. And you can be a hero like Elijah. I'll tell you what, one day in history, they'll read the revivals. And they say, wow, there was one in Perth. 2013, this church there got together and prayed. And they prayed earnestly. And 100,000 people came to know Jesus. It's as easy as that. it's not by our might not by our power it's by the spirit of God but we have to give him room let's pray Father we pray right now for every single person in this city Father we pray earnestly for every one of them that they may know Jesus Father, we pray your church filled, your house filled with our neighbours, with our friends, with those we go to work with, with those we go to school with, those in our universities, those even in our households. Father, we pray salvation over them right now in the name of Jesus, that they will know you and the power of your resurrection. That they will know the victory that came through the cross. That they will know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That they may stand here with us and declare that you are Lord. That they will be disciples of Jesus Christ. That this city will never be the same from this time forth. Let's stand together. Just stand, close your eyes, lift your hands and pray. Pray. Pray for the people on your impact list. Pray for your ones. Pray for your neighbours. Pray for your friends. Pray for the people across the street. Pray for the people in your shopping centre. Pray for the people in your university, and school. Pray for the people that you work with. Pray for the people in your household. Pray. 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 Pray with earnestness. Pray with authority. Pray like you believe it is true. Pray like you believe that God will actually do something. Pray like you thought Elijah would pray. Pray like you think Peter would pray. Pray like you believe Jesus would pray. Oh, Father, we speak over these lives of these people in the name of Jesus. We speak salvation in their lives in the name of Jesus. We speak healing in their lives in the name of Jesus. We speak that they may know you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we commit to be a people of prayer. We commit to be a people who pray earnestly, who seek you. Seek soul saved in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Salvation. Salvation we pray, salvation, salvation we pray, salvation we pray in Jesus name, salvation we pray in Jesus name, salvation we pray in the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Lord I pray for every single person here, Father I pray where there is a financial lack Lord that it will be met right now in the name of Jesus. Father we speak abundant precision, Lord I speak over debt in the name of Jesus and we break the power of debt right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we break the power of debt over the people of this church in the name of Jesus, that it will no longer be a hold, that it will be set free in Jesus' name. Lord, we break the power of debt right now in the name of Jesus. Father, where there is sickness, we speak healing right now and health and wholeness in Jesus' name. When that sickness is risen up, we command it to die the root in Jesus' name, that there be health and wholeness right now in Jesus' name. Health and wholeness. Oh, Father, let your word burn within our hearts, I pray, that we be a people of prayer, of fervent prayer, that your house may be built, your kingdom here on earth. We worship you, we bless you, we honor you in Jesus' name.